This is Shakespeare Closely Read. I am your host, Mark Naftal. In this podcast, I read the works of William Shakespeare and other authors in the public domain. In addition to reading these works in their entirety, I'll stop frequently to comment on the text, its meaning, and lessons to be drawn. This is a place for lovers of Shakespeare's words, words, words. I delight in the beauty of his language and believe through this beauty we can find truth and how to live a virtuous life. I hope this podcast can help students understand Shakespeare better and how to appreciate his sometimes difficult language. Maybe you can use it to help you write papers or study for tests. Drop me an email at shakespeareclosely at gmail.com if you have questions. I would like some help. Let us begin. We have started the play Henry IV, Part One. Uh, we met uh, Henry IV. Um, his his des- uh, expressed desire to go on a crusade, and yet he's uh, he's faced with domestic troubles. Then, uh, much more interestingly, we meet Prince Hal and his good friend uh, Sir Jack Falstaff, uh, one of Shakespeare's most beloved characters. Um, and we uh, hear some of the give and take between Hal and Falstaff, and they're waking up in the inn, and some discourses on time and some imagery of, uh, of the sun and the moon. And then uh, their friend Poins enters, enter Poins. Falstaff speaking. Poins, now shall we know if Gad's Hill have set a match? Oh, if man were to be saved by merit... What hole in hell were hot enough for him? This is the most omnipotent villain that ever cried stand to a true man. Okay, saved by merit. Uh, perhaps uh, Falstaff is continuing his uh, uh, his observations on Puritanism. Of course, the, the Puritans didn't believe that, that man was saved by merit. It was at best by faith alone. Also, some of them at least were Calvinists or tended in that direction uh, where uh, merit and uh, would have nothing to do with it. And indeed, because of predestination, faith didn't have a whole lot to do with it either. Prince, good morrow, Ned. Points, good morrow, sweet Hal. What's with, says Monsieur Remos? What says Sir John's sack and sugar? Jack, how agrees the devil in thee about thy soul that thou soldest him on Good Friday last for a cup of Madeira and a cold capon's leg? Okay, so uh, he's saying that uh, Falstaff had sold his soul to the devil. Uh, for a cup of wine and a, and a chicken leg, which, of course, uh, uh, Good Friday being a fast day, uh, Falstaff should not have been having those things anyway. Uh, Prince, Sir John stands to his word. The devil shall have his bargain, for he was never yet a breaker of Proverbs. He will give the devil his due. Okay, that's uh, the proverb, if you will, give the devil his due. I uh, don't know if it's the first time it appeared in print or not. I guess one could look it up and find out points to Falstaff. Thou art damned for keeping thy word with the devil, uh, Prince. Else he had been damned for cousining the devil. That is, uh, if you cheat the, the devil, either way, um, uh, uh, Falstaff's in trouble, points. But my lads, my lads, tomorrow morning by four o'clock early at Gad's Hill, there are pilgrims going to Canterbury with rich offerings and traders riding to London with fat purses. I have visitors for you all. Okay, so there's a reference to uh, the pilgrimage to Canterbury, which by Shakespeare's time had been uh, curtailed with the with the Reformation. And I wonder, too, if Shakespeare was somewhat uh, uh, making a reference there to Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. And points as he has visards, uh, that would be a mask, a type of a mask, uh, so that the robbers' faces couldn't be seen. 
back to the text. You have horses for yourselves. Gad's Hill lies tonight in Rochester. I spoke bespoke supper tomorrow night in East Cheap. We may do it as secure as sleep. If you will go, I will stuff your purses full of crowns. If you will not, tarry at home and be hanged. Falstaff, hear ye, ye word, if I tarry at home and go not, I'll hang you for going. You will, Chops? How? Will thou make one? Who? I rob a thief? Not I, by my faith. There's neither honesty, manhood, nor good fellowship in thee. No, thou camest not of the blood royal, if thou darest not stand for ten shillings. Uh, probably a little money joke there, Prince. Well, then once in my days, I'll be a madcap. Falstaff, why, that's well said. Prince, well, come what will, I'll tarry at home. Okay, so the prince seems to be saying he's going and he's not going. Uh, Falstaff, by the Lord, I'll be a traitor when thou art king. Prince, I care not. Points. So, John, I pray thee, leave the prince and me alone. I will lay him down such reasons for this adventure that he shall go. Falstaff, well, God give thee the spirit of persuasion and him the ears of profiting that what thou speakest may move and what he hears may be believed that the true prince may for recreation's sake prove a false thief for the poor abuses of the time want want countenance farewell you shall find me in east cheap okay so uh first part of falstaff's speech there somewhat continues uh, his religious uh theme uh that is about this is probably about a, a, a sermon of some sort spirit of persuasion ears of profiting that it may move and hear be believed. Prince, farewell, thou latter spring. Farewell, all Holland summer. Okay, so Falstaff's supposed to be old. Falstaff exits. Points. Now, my good sweet honey lord, ride with us tomorrow. I have a jest to execute that I cannot manage alone. Falstaff, Petto, Bardolph, and Gadshill shall rob those men that we have already waylaid. Yourself and I will not be there. And when they had the booty, if you and I... Um, do not rob them. Cut this head from off my shoulders. Okay, so the plan, Poin's plan, is to let the rest of the gang uh, rob um, their their target, and then Poin's and Hal will rob the robbers and take from them. Now, this sets up um, uh, what is kind of a double robbery, and an interpretation of this is this uh, really is a, is a type of a commentary on Henry the Fourth himself, who stole the crown. And Hal sort of redeems that by uh, robbing a robber, if you will. Hey, Prince. How shall we part with them in setting forth? Because they would be all going together, points. Why, we will set forth before or after them and appoint them a place of meeting, wherein it is our pl pleasure to fail. And then, that when, then will they adventure upon the exploit themselves which they ha shall have no sooner achieved, but will set upon them, Prince. Yea, but tis like they will know us by our horses, by our habits, by ever their appointment to be ourselves. Points. Tied our horses, they shall not see. I'll tie them in the wood. Our visards we will change after we leave them. And, Sarah, I have cases of buckram for the nonce, to amask our noted outward garments. Uh, Prince. Yea, but I doubt they will be too hard for us, Points. Well, for two of them, I know them to be as true-bred cowards as ever turned back. And for the third, if he fight longer than he sees reason, I'll forswear arms. Okay, he's referring to Falstaff there, who, uh, who was not a coward, but he wouldn't fight any longer than he had to. The virtue of this jest will be the incomprehensible lies that the same fat rogue will tell us when we meet at supper. 
how 30 at least he fought with, what wards, what blows, what extremities he endured, and in the reproof of this lives the chest. Prince, well, I'll go with thee, provide us all things necessary, and meet me tomorrow night in East Cheap. There I'll sup. Farewell. Farewell, my lord. Points exits. Okay, here is Prince Hal's first great speech. I know you all, and will a while uphold the unyoked humor of your idleness. Yet herein will I imitate the sun, who doth permit the base contagious clouds to smother up his beauty from the world, that when he please again to be himself being wanted, he may be more the wondered at by breaking through the foul and ugly mists of vapors that did seem to strangle him. If all the year were playing holidays, to sport would be as tedious as to play. But when they seldom come, they wish for come, and nothing pleaseth but rare accidents. So when this loose behavior I throw off, and pay the debt I never promised, by how much better than my word I am, by so much shall I falsify men's hopes, and in like bright metal on a sullen ground, my reformation glittering o'er my fault, show me more goodly and attract more eyes than that which hath no foil to set it off. Also offend to make offense a skill, redeeming time when men think least I will. A exits, end of scene two. Okay, let's go over some of this. Again, this is one of uh, the great speeches. Uh, I sometimes call this uh, imitate the sun speech. Um, as I've, I've already mentioned many times, um, the imagery of the sun uh, goes throughout this entire cycle of the plays. And Hal himself here uh, compares himself to the sun um, and personifies it in himself, or you could look at it on Apollo, I suppose, um, that the sun allows clouds, here they're called base contagious clouds, um, to, to roll over him and to block his rays out. So when he comes out again, he was wanted, he, he was behind the clouds, he's missed, he comes out, and he's more the wondered at. And he breaks through the foul and ugly mists. Um, pun there between mist, M-I-S-S-E-D, and mist, M-I-S-T. Um, now, the foul and ugly mists here are Falstaff and his companions and, uh, and Hal's own uh, loose behavior. Um, the vapors did, it seems to, stringle, to strangle him. And then a piece of wisdom here, if all the year were playing holidays to sport, would be as tedious as to work. So he's going to uh, put his playing days behind him. He's no longer going to be a playboy. Uh, and then presumably he would enjoy his holidays more. Um, when they seldom come, they wished for come. And nothing pleases but rare accidents. And then he says he's going to throw off his loose behavior, pay the debt he never promised by how much better than my word I am. I am somewhat reminded here of a Christ's um, story of the two sons who were told by their asked by their father to go work in the fields. Um, one said he would and then didn't do it. The other said he would he would not, but then did it. And Hal seems to be comparing himself to the son that. Uh, that it did not promise to do it, that he paid, you know, pay the debt he never promised, and yet um, and become a dutiful son and um, a great prince and, in fact, a great king. And here uh, he's going to be, his former reformation shows 
his, his reformation over his former behavior shows like bright metal on soa and ground. And, um, and it attracts more eyes. It's more to be seen than that which has no foil um, to set it off. Um, there is, if all the ground was bright metal or all his behavior had been, been sparkling and precious, and uh, there'd be nothing remarkable about it. But if it's uh, like a piece of gold or whatever in the mud, um, it looks at that much more striking. And um, it'll attract more eyes. He'll become more popular. It's more notable uh, for, him, for him to reform here. The idea also of the foil, the comparison. Um, is a theme which is going to be picked up um, of the contrast between um, Hotspur and Prince Hal. We saw in the first part of the play that his father, Henry IV, uh, wished that Hotspur was his son. Well, we'll see how that works out. And um, the speech con concludes uh, with Hal's statement that he's going to be redeeming time. And remember the, um, the interchanges with Falstaff uh, began with an inquiry as to what time it was. Um, and obviously Hal now thinks it's it's time for him to start his reformation. But first we've got the uh, the play robbery at Gats Hill. And before that, let's go back to the serious stuff, scene three. Um, and we go back to the king, Northumberland, Worcester, Hotspur, and Sir Walter Blunt with others. King to Northumberland, Worcester, and Hotspur. My blood hath been too cold and temperate, unapt to stir at these indignities, and you have found me, for accordingly you tread upon my patience. But be sure I will from henceforth or rather be myself mighty and to be feared than my condition, which hath been smooth, which hath been smooth as oil, soft as young down, and therefore lost that title of respect, which the proud soul ne'er pays but to the proud. Okay, so the king is saying also he's going to change his ways. And he is saying he's been too cold and temperate, and he's going to be uh, uh, rather more assertive, shall we say. Worcester. Our house, my sovereign liege, little deserves the scourge of greatness to be used on it. And that same greatness, too, which our own hands have hoped to make so portly. Okay, so Worcester is actually rather insulting uh, of Henry there. Um and uh, rather contemptuous, if you will. And, uh, and indeed, anyone like the king here who, who needs to say, look, I'm going to be great. Uh, they're already halfway to being ridiculous. Uh, you, a truly great person doesn't need to, to call themselves uh, great. And um, he reminds the, the king uh, that he gave him his help in stealing the crown from Richard. Um, and sort of puffed him up and made him portly. So uh, it could be a reference there to uh, Henry IV having a weight problem of some sort. Uh, Northumberland, my lord, king, Worcester, get thee gone, for I do see danger and disobedience in thine eye. O oh, sir, your presence is too bold and peremptory, and majesty might never yet endure the moody frontier of a servant brow. You have good leave to leave us. When we need your use and counsel, we shall send for you. Okay, so he dismisses him. Um, uh, again, I don't know if that was a wise thing to do. If he thinks he's going to be a traitor, maybe he should have uh, kept him around, kept you, keep your enemies closer than your friends. Worcester exit. North to Northumberland. You're about to speak. Yea, my good lord. Those prisoners in your highness name demanded, which Harry Percy here at Hol Homadon took, 
or as he says, not with such strength denied as is delivered to your majesty. Either envy, therefore, or misprison is guilty of this fault, and not my son. Hotspur, my liege, I did deny no prisoners, but I remember when the fight was done, when I was dry with rage and extreme toil, breathless and faint, leaning upon my sword, came there a certain lord, neat and trimly dressed, fresh as a bridegroom, and his chin new reaped, showed like a stubble land at harvest home. Okay, so Hotspur, um, uh, Henry Percy, uh, excuses himself by saying uh, he was all tired out uh, after the, the battle. And this um, a popinjay, someone from, from the court, uh, came who'd not been doing any fighting. Okay. He was perfumed like a milliner, that's a hat maker, and twixt his finger and his thumb, he held a pouncet box, whichever and anon he gave his nose and took away again. Um who there with angry when it came came when it next came there took in snuff and still he smiled and talked okay snuff uh i suppose it would have been tobacco and um since uh, these events took place in the early 15th century before the new world was discovered i'm not sure that uh snuff would have been around so this might be uh, an anachronism but uh there it is uh da, da, da. took in snuff and still he smiled and talked and as the soldiers bore dead bodies by, he called them untaught knaves, unmannerly, to bring a slovenly, unhandsome course between the wind, betwixt the wind and his nobility. With many holiday and lady terms, he questioned me, amongst the rest demanded my prisoners in your majesty's behalf. I then, all smarting with my wounds being cold, to be so pestered with a popinjay, out of my grief and my impatience, answered neglectingly, I know not what. He should or he should not, for he made me mad to see him shine so brisk and smell so sweet and talk so like a waiting gentle, gentlewoman of guns and drums and wounds. God save the mark. Um, okay, so he made him mad. Uh, that's probably in the context that we know the word mad is to be angry. Uh, it could have, it's, it's probably still then had more of an implication of being insane uh, rather than angry. Uh, but there it is. Back to the text, and telling me the sovereignest thing on earth was a parmacity for an inward bruise, and that it was great pity, and so it was, this villainous saltpeter should be digged out of the bowels of the harmless earth, which many a good tall fellow had destroyed so cowardly, and but for these vile guns he would himself have been a soldier. This bald, unjointed chat of his, my lord, I answered indirectly as I said, and I beseech you. Let not his report come current for an accusation betwixt my love and your high majesty. Okay, that's a pretty good excuse. Um, and uh, if it's true, I would think that uh, Henry would have responded well to it. Let's see. One, the circumstance considered, good my lord, whatever Lord Harry Percy then had said to such a person and in such a place, at such a time, with all the rest retold, may reasonably die and never rise to do him wrong or in any way impeach what then he said. So he unsay it now. King, why yet he doth deny his prisoners, but with proviso and exception that we at our charge shall ransom straight his brother-in-law, the foolish Mortimer, who on my soul hath willfully betrayed the lives of those that he did lead to fight against that great magician, damn Glendower, whose daughter, as we hear, that Earl of March hath lately married. Okay, so... Uh, apparently Hotspur is saying he'll turn over the prisoners, but he wants the king in return uh, to ransom his brother-in-law. 
uh, foolish Mortimer, um, who was fighting against Glendower and, and uh, apparently got captured. Uh, Glendower being the, the prince uh, of Wales there, uh, leader of Wales. The prince of Wales, of course, is, uh, is Prince Hal. Um, and let's see, his daughter, the Earl, that Earl of March, um, so Earl of March is also Mortimer, um, had married. Shall our coffers then be redeemed, be emptied to redeem a traitor home? Shall we buy treason and indent with fears when they have lost and forfeited themselves? No, on the barren mountains let him starve, for I shall never hold that man my friend, whose tongue shall ask me for one penny cost to ransom home revolted Mortimer. Okay, revolted, uh, I guess double meaning there. Um, the king accuses him of, of, of um, plotting with Glendower against him. And uh, revolted could mean also that he just holds him in, uh, in contempt. Hotspur. Revolted Mortimer, he, did, he never did fall off my sovereign liege, but by the chance of war. To prove that true needs no more but one tongue for all those wounds, those mouthed wounds which valiantly he took. When on the gentle servant's sedgy bank in single opposition, hand to hand, he did confound the best part of an hour in changing hardiment with great Glendower. Three times they breathed and three times did they drink upon agreement of swift servant's flood who then affrighted with their bloody looks, ran fearfully among the trembling reeds and hid his crisp head in the hollow bank, blood stained with these valiant combatants. Okay, so Hotspur says, oh no, he wasn't a traitor. He fought real hard against Glendower and then single combat. Um, they lasted so long they had to take three bricks. Um, Never did bear and rotten policy color her working with such deadly wounds. Nor never could the noble Mortimer receive so many and all willingly, then let not him be slandered with revolt. King. Thou dost belie him, Percy, thou dost belie him. He never did encounter with Glendower, I tell thee. He durst as well have met the devil alone as Owen Glendower for an enemy. Art thou not ashamed? But, Sarah, henceforth, let me not hear you speak of Mortimer. Send me your prisoners with the speediest means, or you shall hear in such a kind from me as will displease you. My lord Northumberland, we license your departure with your son. Send us your prisoners, or you will hear of it. Okay, so Henry, um, uh, he appears to excuse um, that he didn't send in the prisoners soon enough, but he's threatening them there that they better send it right away, or, um, or it'll go worse for them. So uh, and the, uh, the Percys are very proud, so I think they won't take this very well. King exits with Blunt and others, Hotspur. And if the devil come and roar for them, I will not send them. I will have to straight and tell him so, for I will ease my heart, albeit I make a hazard of my head. Northumberland. What? Drunk with choler? That's anger. Stay and pause a while. Here comes your uncle. Enter Wooster. Okay, so we know uh, Wooster's on the edge of rebellion. Now, how about the Percy's? Hotspur. Speak of Mortimer. Zunes, I will speak of him and let my soul want mercy if I do not join with him. Yea, on his part, I'll empty all these veins and shed my dear blood drop by drop in the dust. But I will lift the downtrodden Mortimer as high in the air as this unthankful king and this ingrate and cankered, as this ingrate and cankered Bolingbroke. Okay, so they're um, calling him an unthankful king. Um, and ingrate, that means unthankful as well. It's also in Cankered Bolingbroke. So now they're using his uh, his prior name uh, rather than the king, Northumberland. 
Brother, the king hath made your nephew mad. Lister, uh, who struck this heat up after I was gone? Hotspur, he will forsooth have all my prisoners. And when I urge the ransom once again of my wife's brother, then his cheek looked pale, and on my face he turned an eye of death, trembling even at the name of Mortimer. Lister, I cannot blame him. Was not he proclaimed by Richard that dead is the next of blood? Okay, and there's a uh, there's a hint above too. They might try to make a Wooster um, King Hotspur. He said in his previous little speech here, "I will lift the downtrod Mortimer as high in the air as this unthankful king." So maybe they're thinking that uh, um, Mortimer could be could be king, maybe a uh, type of a figurehead, and they can really rule. Um, Wooster, I cannot blame him. Was he not proclaimed by Richard that dead is the next of blood? Northumberland, he was. I heard the proclamation, and then it was, and then it was when the unhappy king, whose wrongs and us God pardon, did set forth upon his Irish expedition. Okay, so Northumberland is at least expressing um, that he's sorry for what he did, um, and that they wronged him, whose wrongs in us. God pardon. That's sort of an interesting phrase of whose wrongs. Um, <clears throat> the, the construction of that could mean that they're talking about Richard's wrongs. Uh, when I first read this, I thought, oh, they're talking about their own wrongs and they're asking for God to forgive them. Um, and it could mean that, but also it could mean that they're talking about Richard's own wrongs and that um, they want to be pardoned those themselves. Um, at any rate, the the meaning of this is that uh, they're claiming that uh, uh, before he went on his Irish expedition, Richard II uh, proclaimed that Mortimer uh, would succeed him if anything happened to him. Uh, from whence he intercepted, did return to be deposed and shortly murdered, Lister, and for whose death we in the world's wide mouth live scandalized and foully spoken of. Hotspur, but soft, I pray you, did King Richard then proclaim my brother Edward Mortimer heir to the crown? Northumberland, he did myself, he did myself, did I, did hear it, Hotspur. Nay, then, I cannot blame his cousin King that wished him on the barren mountain starve. But shall it be that you that set the crown upon the head of this forgetful man, and for his sake wear the detested blot of murderous subordinate, subordination, subor, subordination, subordination, Shall it be that you, a world of curses, undergo, being the agents or base second means, the cords, the ladder, or the hangman, rather? Oh, pardon me that I descend so low to show the line and the predicament where any range under this subtle king. Shall it for shame be spoken in these days, or for chronicles in time to come, that men of your nobility and power did gauge them both in an unjust behalf, as both of you, God pardon it, have done, to put down Richard, that sweet, lovely rose, and plant this thorn, this canker, Bolingbroke. Okay, so um, Hotspur is saying, you know, that they um, they entered on all these shameful acts and so forth to put Bolingbroke on the on the throne, and Bolingbroke is now a thorn uh, compared to the the rose of, of Richard Richard II, so a canker. That's a, a diseased um, flower. Uh, and shall it in shall in it shall it it, and shall it in more shame be f- be sp- further spoken, 
that you are fooled, discarded, and shook off by him for whom these shames you underwent. No, yet time serves wherein you may redeem your banished honors and restore yourselves into the good thoughts of the world again. Revenge the jeering and disdained contempt of this proud king who studies day and night to answer all the debt he owes to you, even with the bloody payment of your deaths. Therefore, I say, okay, we have a few lines of before that, um, uh, another reference to redeeming the time. Um, Hotspur says, no, yet time serves wherein you may redeem your banished honors and restore yourselves. Remember, Prince Hal talked about redeeming the time. Um, and Hotspur is making the same sort of uh, pledge here, not for himself, uh, but for his kinsmen who uh, who themselves entered into the base contagious clouds, if you will, of treason uh, to get rid of Red Richard and, and put Bolingbroke on there, who they now um, signing he's uh, kind of a villain. Okay, to Wooster. Peace, cousin, say no more. And now I will unclasp a secret book. And to your quick conceiving discontents, I'll read you matter deep and dangerous. As full of peril and adventurous spirit as to o'erwalk a current roaring loud on the unfast footing of a spear. Okay. Um, that's like to go across a, a very... Um, uh, rapid type of river um, on only a pole. Uh, you got to walk along that over it. So uh, any revolt is dangerous, and it's a pretty sharp image there of what it would be. Uh, okay, we're almost out of time, so we'll hear more about their plot uh, next time. Until then, adieu.